This week on a very special episode of The Big Show, we salute the signature sound that was created and nurtured here in the nation's capital, Go-Go Music, as we discuss the upcoming premiere of the documentary, Straight Crankin'. Plus, we'll have entertainment news and reviews of the latest films, including Peppermint. On the latest episode of Keeping It Real with Film Gordon, pump, pump, pump me up. Let's go. Of course, that was Chuck Brown, the father of Go-Go, uh, laying it down, serving as the foundation for what should be a very special show. As I shared with the team before we began today, nine years I've been doing this show. Over 400 total episodes. First time we've ever featured Go-Go music on the big show. It's going to be a good one today. Uh, coming up later in the show, we will have the producers of Straight Crankin', a go-go documentary that is going to premiere this coming Monday here in, of all places, the nation's capital. Um, and they'll give you information on how you can be in the house for the world premiere of this film. Plus, we're going to talk about the second part of what I call the film festival season. Of course, the first part is when you look at Sundance and South by Southwest and Berlin and Tribeca and Cannes. Uh, now we're reaching the second half where TIFF, you know, or the Toronto International Film Fest. People, you got to stay with me on these acronyms. You know, that's what the, the insiders call it. They call it TIFF. Uh, the Toronto International Film Fest premieres tonight. Uh, and we want to talk a little bit about that as well as talk about the hot movies that came out of the Venice Film Fest and Telluride and our film festival report, which will come up later on in the show. And in addition, we're going to review Peppermint. That's the way I love to say the title. Saw the film last night. Um, I have some re- <laughs> some really strong impressions about this film. Uh, so you want to stick around and check that out. And uh, as usual, we normally have Wilson Morales at the top of every show. But of course, Wilson is in Toronto right now for the opening of the Toronto Film Festival, the debut of uh, this year's fest. And he will not be joining us. But in his place, I've gotten the best 
entertainment journalist I know who can step in at a moment's notice in order to deliver this news for us, and that is none other than show contributor, uh, occasional host, uh, member of, of the Washington, D.C. Area Film Critics Association, where he got a really, really sexy invite next week, which we can't talk about, <laughs> but he understands what that is. Uh, we'll bring Charles Kirkland in in a minute. So, uh, But before we get to Charles, I, there was a couple of things that I really want to talk about briefly. Um, Bobby Brown's story uh, premiered this week on BET and uh, it stars Black Real Award winning uh, actor Woody McClain who is reprising his role as Bobby Brown and if I ever have an opportunity to talk to Woody on this show I will tell him brother you need to be careful or all people are ever going to see you as is Bobby Brown because you you were spectacular as Bobby Brown in the new edition story Uh, you are (laughs) spectacular again matter of fact Woody I'm starting to look at you, and every time I see you, I see Bobby Brown. Um, but let's talk about some of the revelations that came out of the new edition. I mean, uh, the new edition, the Bobby Brown story, uh, the two-parter. Uh, let's see. Uh, he had a love affair or a brief tryst with Janet Jackson. Did not know that. Um, we also found out that he uh, got Whitney Houston pregnant and another woman pregnant in the same week. Hmm. Did not know that either. Uh, we found out that Bobby Brown had a seizure after an all-night uh, drug binge with Whitney Houston. Yeah, once again, did not know that. We found out that uh, Bobby Brown tried to go, uh, you know, he, he went into rehab and tried to get himself clean. Didn't take. <laughs> there were a lot of revelations in the Bobby Brown story, but um, like I said, um, it was interesting because as a, a former employee of BET, I was literally shocked when I saw uh, the, the production quality on the new edition story. I was like, this does not look like it came from BET, uh, which is a compliment. Not saying that and no shade to any of my folks at BET, uh, Deborah Lee and, and the rest of the crew. No shade. Um, but I'm just saying that I, I did not expect that the quality and the Bobby Brown story continues that. So a really good job all around for all those folks uh, that worked on that production. So if you haven't had an opportunity to see it, I am assuming that it will be an encore performance that will go on over the weekend. Uh, check out the Bobby Brown story headlined by the amazing Woody McClain, along with Gabrielle Dennis and several others. Now, without that, with that being said, um, one quick note. Uh, Before we bring Charles in, Uh, this is the final weekend of shows here locally at the Wolf Trap. And the only reason I bring this up is because, um, yeah, some has been all right. You know, Shaka Khan, you know, I could I could take it or leave it. Uh, The OJs, Gladys Knight, seen them a bunch of times before. Um, I really liked Nile Rogers, that chic show that was hot. I'm trying to think of any other things. I mean, I saw Aretha Franklin there last year, which I'm thankful that we had that opportunity before she left us. But the reason I bring that up is that they're doing something very, very interesting this weekend. And they're going to have a program called For You, a symphonic tribute to Prince. Now, I love Prince. 
So I'm going to be in the house for this. I don't know what to expect. I, I'm assuming it's the NSO. I'm assuming that they're going to put a classical spin on Purple Rain and all of the other hits that Prince has made. But either way, I'm looking forward to kicking the summer out. I mean, or, or, or you know, leaving the summer behind in style. So uh, if you haven't had an opportunity to check it out, uh, and you still want tickets, uh, you can get on the lawn. At the show will be this Saturday night at the Wolf Trap, 730. Uh, you might see me out there. I'll be like, hey, what's up? <laughs> so without any further ado, uh, it is time for me to bring in my partner in crime, Charles Kirkland. Charles, welcome back to the big show, my brother. Thanks for having me back. Let, let, let me just say this. If somebody shows up at Wolf Trap, are they going to know what you're going to look like when you're sitting out there on the lawn? Well, of course, uh, they follow us here at 96.3 HD4 and at DCRadio.gov. There is a page that has Keeping It Real with Film Gordon on it, which has, you know. But but that picture is not accurate. <laughs> that picture is not accurate. You don't look that way anymore. <laughs> that, that, well, watch this. Yeah, yeah, you might have a point. I don't. I no longer have a, a mustache and a goatee, even though I'm attempting to try to grow it back. It's coming. Yeah, it's coming. Uh, Jessica, is this look working? Should I stay with the baby face or do I go with the mustache and goatee? Honestly, just let the let the facial hair grow. Get the, the little sal- salt and pepper in there. Never hurt anybody. Well, I, 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 it was more salty than it was pepper. <laughs> that was the that was the issue. So you know that's that's a that's a trick that that a lot of seasoned men use. You know they walk around with no hair. I peeped that. LL Cool J. <laughs> yeah, you know you can't be walking around looking like DMX, man. Nobody wants that. <laughs> hey, it's called age in I, reality. I, I, it is called. I have age. no problem with showing my salt and pepper. Embrace it. It doesn't look bad. Exactly. Okay. exactly. All right. Uh, we we should we should open up the uh, the Twitter <laughs> lines for this show. I need to I need to create. I'm thinking about uh, taking Twitter questions and coming in and just answering Twitter questions. Uh, you know, stuff that you do during the week, and then you can just say to such and such. We you know we're answering your question on Twitter. So I, I'll, I'll think of something because uh, there, there's so many people out there that kind of tune into this show, and the reason I know that is because we look at the raw data and the raw numbers every week. And I also want to say dos vidanya to all of our listeners over <laughs> in Russia, which basically make up the second largest block of listeners that we have. Don't know why. Maybe like they meddled in the, the, the elections. They're meddling in our show. Who knows? I brought them. I brought them. They, they came with me. All right. I have uh, close friends in, in Russia. Okay. He <laughs> noticed. I'm like, okay. Um, I want to talk film festival, but we have a segment coming up for that because there's several uh, movies that are getting a lot of play. And um, we are not at liberty to say, but, uh, you know, there was a, a special invite that went out for a movie that's going to open. When is the movie open? Like in a month? In a month, yeah. Yep. Yeah, there's a special movie that's opening in a month that we received an invite for that we are sworn to secrecy, or as they call it in the business, the embargo. The embargo. So it, we can't... It's a big one, too. It's, it's, a, a, big it's one. a huge one. And they're not only not only is are we seeing the film, but the star and director of the film is coming in for a Q&A, which they said in the note that the only way you can see the film is you have to stay for the Q&A. They don't want you bouncing right. when the movie is over. So you do realize this is going to be about a three-hour experience with the movie and Q&A. With the, with the movie, uh, of course, but, you know. And this is an A-list. This is an, this is A-list, an A-list star. A-list star. This is a big star. 
I mean, we're not talking Tom Cruise big, but he's a big star. And you talked about the, my Wafka credentials. Yeah. So I, when I got the email because of my Wafka credentials, I was uh, excited and I, I posted right away, yes, I will be there. You posted, yes, I will be there. Oh, you talking about to the email? Yes. Oh, I thought you meant you posted online. I was going to be like, <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. No, uh, I just yeah. got them. I'm not trying to give them up already. So so what we're talking about right now is that the Washington, D.C. Area Film Critics Association, uh, which we're both members. Charles just joined. I'm an original member. Um, and, and we've been, this is our 16th year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Uh, when it gets to award season, and I also belong to the Broadcast Film Critics Association, so we get special invites to things before the general film critic population will get them. So this is a really, really big deal. And um, as I said, I told Charles off air that anytime a studio literally will show you a movie like a month before it opens and bring in the star of said movie, they know they got a winner. They know they are building the buzz early. This is this mm. is all this is about buzz building. He this this actor is going to show up. He's going to glad hand members of the critics community. People are going to be, oh my god, they're so nice. Wow, I like <laughs> this movie. When it's time to vote, I, I'm just he deserves you, that Oscar. Look, look, I'm just telling you how it works, man. I, I never forget. Let me give you a quick story before we get out of here in this first segment. I never forget. Uh, years earlier, they, there was a special screening of Training Day mm. at the Motion Picture Association, and Antoine Fuqua was there. And I remember he pulled over a bunch of us journalists, and he said, man, you guys have never seen Denzel Washington the way you're going to see him in this film, and we're going to get D an Oscar for this movie. And we were looking at him like, come on, man, Training Day? Pfft, he was right. He was absolutely <laughs> he right. He was right. We he had never seen Denzel right. in that way before, so... Um, as I said, uh, we're going to talk more about award season with our, uh, you know, coming up a little later on in the show. when We start talking about the hot films uh, coming out of uh, Telluride, uh, Toronto, which we will preview in Venice. And there are a couple that I'm really looking forward to because the way film works is you look at who the director is and it's like, OK, if I trust yeah. that director, then I yeah. trust that film. And Paolo Sorrento is coming up with a movie that I'm really we're going to talk about that one but uh, we're going to take a break right now and we come back we're going to, it's going to be time for us to talk go-go music in here you guys of course are listening to The Big Show keeping it real with Film Gordon here at 96.3 HD4 and we'll be right back Welcome back to The Big Show. Keeping it real with Film Gordon here at 96.3 HD4, and that's dcradio.gov if you're listening at home. Um, As I said at the top of the show, we are doing something historic today. Now, if you've listened to this show over the course of its run here, and of course this run that I've been doing it, never, 
never have we had go-go music featured on our show. Not, not because I don't like go-go music. Just never came up <laughs> until today. Uh, in studio with me right now, um, we want to sit down and talk about a brand new documentary that is going to premiere this Monday here in the city, nation's capital. Um, it's a talk about straight cranking. Are the producers of the film Mac Renato, Eugene Thorpe, hey. <laughs> and Troy Pinkney? Hello. All right. Um, gentlemen, um, you guys kept a brother in the dark, man. <laughs> I, we talked about this not going by, in. As a rule, yeah. I like this. I saw the trailer, though. I saw the trailer. I saw uh -huh. that there's a star studded cast yes. of local legends. Would that be accurate? That's a good way to put it. Local legends. Local like legends, you know, uh, who, who are involved in this. I'm going to ask you guys, because I understand history. I've lived here uh, since 1985. Mm -hmm. um, I. I, I Met people. I've listened to Go Go. I, you know, Chuck Brown was a guy that, that mm -hmm. I befriended. Uh, you know, uh, so let's talk a little bit about this, man. What, what? Talk to me about the genesis of of why the documentary. Um, the documentary um, came up as. Um as an assignment, to be perfectly honest, it was something that the uh, the agency, our agency, the Office of Cable, Television, Film, Music, and Entertainment, uh, was something that they had uh, developed, and I think there was something that was part of the mayor's overall um, idea to, I think the idea is, with all of this new uh, development coming into town, all these new people coming into town, I think it's important, and I think it's important for the administration to make sure things don't get left behind. Right. And I think GoGo is one of those things that could easily get left behind in all of this new development. So it was important to put something together that talked about the history of GoGo and my point of view was to make sure that it talked about and it featured the musicians in GoGo because all of the GoGo documentaries you usually see is usually something with um, you know uh, um there was a venue, five people got shot, and, and, oh yeah, by the way, there was a band that played. Right. The bands are always the afterthought. So I, my focus with this, our focus with this became to feature the musicians and the bands yeah. and all of the people who made the music, the people who make the music. That's what, that's what drove me, that's what drove us to put this together. All right, so Matt, yeah. How's it going? What did you? What do you? What, 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 what drew you in? Well, here's the thing. So, you know, Gene, uh, first off, is a master class in go-go music. He probably won't say it himself, but working with him on this, he's an absolute master class in the music genre. As he said, uh, you know, first we do have to thank Mayor Muriel Bowser and our director here, Angie Gates, at the Office of Cable Television, Film, Music, and Entertainment, for sanctioning this project because it, it does recognize the fact that there is heart and a connection between the people of the Was of Washington, D.C., of the District of Columbia, and this music genre. There's a history. There's a love there. And just as Gene said, um, to, to not only uh, recognize that connection and build on it and to further it was sort of the mission of this. And when Gene got into this project, you know, he really ran with it. And for me to be a part of it with him and working with Troy on this as well has been uh, really, for me professionally, 
has been uh, just a, a great project, something to really sink your teeth in. And every single day talking with him and learning more and more about Go-Go. I, I knew about the genre. I knew about its importance to Washington, D.C. And, and how people feel about it. But um, every day and in every interview that we did and every, uh, every fan that we talked to and all the, all, the th- all the things we did along the way conducting these interviews, um, you realize the passion that Gene had for this and this project. And you need somebody like that. Who's going to be, you know, pushing it along? Somebody who grew up listening to this, who grew up distributing, copying and distributing the tapes when he was younger. You know, right. who who can who can look back over thirty years and say, you know, these guys shaped my upbringing and, um, uh, you know, my my love for music. And I know that he's, uh, you know, worked in, in in plenty of different ways as an engineer and and uh, working with music. So, for me to be able to work on this project with him. It's been an experience, a learning experience for me. It's something, you know, I'm definitely never going to forget. Now, I can, you know, I'm in studio with the producers of uh, Straight Cranking, of course, Eugene Thorpe, uh, Mac Renato, and Troy Pinckney. Now, as it, as it relates to Gene and Matt, I kind of get and understand your involvement, but I'm sure. trying to figure out how a guy from Philadelphia <laughs> is a part of the go-go renaissance here in D.C. How's Troy Pinckney a part of it? He just we- started walking in the room one day. And, <laughs> and we, I guess we just had to let him in on the project. Eventually. What's up, Troy? What's happening, man? Look, it's, it's, um, it's interesting that you would say that uh, because growing up in Philadelphia, you know that's a hip-hop city. Mm-hmm. But... I listened to Go-Go not knowing that it was Go-Go since hip-hop came out. We just looked at Go-Go. It wasn't packaged as Go-Go music. We looked at it as other hip-hop records. Like Pump Me Up was a hip-hop record to us. My neighbor, DJ Grand V, he was one of the best DJs in the city of Philadelphia. He used to cut up EU Freeze all the time. So I heard EU Freeze. I heard EU. I heard Trouble Funk. We heard Chuck Brown. It just wasn't packaged as Go-Go. So we didn't know, we didn't know that it was go-go music. And when I came to D.C., I came to D.C. in 86, so I've been here for a while. I came to D.C. in 86, go to Howard University. As soon as you set foot in the city, you hear go-go music, you know? First, right. first go-go record I ever heard was, in D.C., was, Chuck, was uh, Junkyard, Sardines, and then The Word, and then Chuck Brown, Run Joe. And once you hear that, then you start being like, okay, I like this. It's more right. than just hip-hop. Right. It's actually its own genre of music, its own culture, you know what I mean? And then you start to get into it. So, you know, when I first got here, I went to a couple Go-Go's. I was fortunate enough to see Little Benny and the Masters at a Go-Go, and I was fortunate enough to see Rare Essence and Pleasure. So I, I started to get into the culture a little bit. Right. And once the project started... I had seen some other work that Gene had done. So I was impressed by it. So when he started talking about, yeah, we're doing this documentary on Go-Go, I was like, look, let me, I can add something to this. <laughs> let, me, let me get down. And so now, now he slaps his hands on his desk all day <laughs> long. All day long. So Matt said, you, you literally just came in a room and just hung out. <laughs> hey, man, I want to, when you see a project that you, that you know is going to be good and you feel like you can add something to it, you know, I put my bed in, man. I'm, you know, I was just like, look, I can add something to this, man. I love your work. I'm working with two very, very talented guys. Right. Um, so I knew that I had something to add. And that's why I just was like, yo, put me on. And trust me, if I didn't have anything to add, 
I would have been on the sideline. They wouldn't, have, they, they wouldn't have been like, all right, come on. Uh, you know what I mean? Well, so. you, you know, and I'm glad you are involved. But, uh, you know, I have this conversation with you, Troy, a lot of times that we talk about go-go music. To me, it's that genre that reminds me a lot of reggae. Yes, you know, right. they're both, yes. uh, you know, kind of uh, music movements that kind of happened like in the 70s. Yeah. Uh, where Chuck Brown sort of put go-go on his back mm-hmm. and became the ambassador for it in, in much in the way that Bob Marley did yes. for reggae. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk a little, and, and I'm sad because the first thing I thought of when you guys came to me with the concept that we were going to do this is that Chuck has left us. Yes. And it would have been perfect to have talked to him. Yes. Um, yes. That was a brother. I worked in radio for years, man. Mm-hmm. And Chuck was somebody we built a relationship with. I tell people all the time, I used to run into Chuck at the most unlikely place all the time. Right. Home Depot. <laughs> Don't ask me why. He'd be in there with his, with his wife. We would yeah, talk music. Yeah, yeah. Chuck was a good dude. Yeah. And he was also somebody that kind of is, is the face of the yeah. movement of Go-Go. Talk a little bit about the legacy of Chuck Brown. The thing um, about Chuck Brown is... When we were when I when I was growing up here, you didn't realize the impact that Chuck Brown had outside of town because you always saw him in town. Right. Um, when I was again, I was in maybe like the tenth grade, and I'm riding around with one of my friends. Chuck Brown's just walking down the street. Yeah. Not an entourage. Not a thing, just him. You know what I mean? He's that kind of guy. We did a, a, an event one time at uh, uh, Wilson High School where he had spoke. And uh, uh, we were packing up, you know, we packing up the cameras. We did like a little quick interview with him and everything. So we're walking out and he's sitting on the, uh, at, on a bench waiting for his daughter to come pick him up by himself. Mm. Just sitting. It, and I'm like, that's Chuck Brown. You know what I mean? <laughs> we, we walked up to him and we sat and we sat and we talked to him for about 20 minutes. And he was engaging he was not standoffish. He was glad to talk to you. It was, and, and you know, it was as just like you. It was like you were meeting John Lee Hooker. It's just like you're meeting Muddy Waters. It's just like you were meeting those. He was that guy. He was that dude. You understand? Mm-hmm. Carlos Santana, guitar players around the world know who Chuck Brown is, mm-hmm. and people here, I don't think they necessarily know that. Unless you go somewhere else and realize that, that's the that's the impact. That's the the the, the legacy that he had that he carried around the world. Right. Yeah. Not just here. He carried it around the world. But when he came back here, he was the same guy. Right. You know, you would, he could see him sitting out on a park bench and go up and talk to him. Right. He wasn't unapproachable. Right. That's exactly what he was not. Good dude. You know? Go ahead, man. And sto- stories like what Gene is telling and stories like yours from the Home Depot, seeing him there. In, in relation to this project and in relation to straight cranking, especially, you hear Chuck's voice, not necessarily through him talking in interviews, but you hear Chuck's voice through all of the different artists and all of the different fans and people who are involved in go-go music who have spoken about him in this project because their stories are, I mean, they're very, very similar to what you explained and what Gene explained about how he's the type of guy who could have run for elected office. You know, he just had that that personability to him and he had that, um, that ability to connect with people and every person that we talked to Every interview had some moment, some story, something where they they talked about how he gave his time or he, he shared his talent or shared his experiences. 
And for everybody to come away with a personal moment like that, you can't say that about a lot of people, especially people in different music genres who are seen as pioneers or seen as those types you were talking about, Muddy Waters, right? And he had those types of connections with so many people. I think that that's what translates his voice into this even more so than it is. All right, we got about five minutes, fellas. So we're talking everything about Gogo. Let's talk about these bands, man. I mean, what <laughs> what will be the takeaway? Because everybody's got their favorites, man. I mean, what did you guys? What was it? Something you learned about a particular band, a backstory that you guys included in the film that people will walk away and go, huh? There were a couple things that I that, that really <laughs> stunned yeah. me. Right. There okay. were a couple things that really stunned me. Watch the um, when. Uh, um, <laughs> When uh, uh, Rio Edwards talked about uh, Max Kidd, Max Kidd was the Barry Gordy yeah. of Go Go yeah. in '85, '83, '84, '85. He was the one who got all the bands on the radio. He was the one who made the first videos, Go Go videos you saw. Mm-hmm. He made those. He made sure that all of this stuff got out. And when he attracted Chris Blackwell's attention mm. from Island, Island Records, Records uh-huh. okay, they and he came and he went to Chris Blackwell and they ironed and they inked out a deal for six million dollars. Hmm. That's like sixty million in today's money. Right. That's what was going. That's where the money for the movie came from. That was going to be the thing that was going to take all of the go-go bands to the next level. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I knew that there was a deal. I knew that they made a deal. I didn't know it was for that was huge. In nineteen, money. yeah, about thirty in years ago, eighty-five. <laughs> right. That's huge money. What about yeah. you, Matt? I'd say, first of all, just when you get the opportunity to to talk to, we talked to dozens of people, dozens of artists, over 50 interviews we conducted to uh, put this movie, this documentary together. So first of all, that was just entertaining in itself, because when do you get the opportunity to talk to that many people who are passionate about what they do and, and the music that they play? So that was, on, a, on its own level, memorable for me. But, um, you know, I think my favorite part one of the main uh, pieces we focus on in, the, in this documentary is Go Go Live. If you remember the movie Good to Go, mm-hmm. and that was sort of the response to what was seen as the, I guess, failure of Good yes. to Go. Yep. Uh, Go Go Live was was meant to uplift everybody and, and take take ownership of the genre of, of the music mm-hmm. and put something together where all the, the bands could play on one stage where they hadn't been able to play before. So I think focusing on that part and hearing all of the different voices who were involved in that concert and go go live talk about how it first came about how they decided who was going to play first who was going to close it out who ran the city you know who had the big hits and learning about that because you can see that concert and you know people went to that concert they they understand it and and what it means but to hear the voices who were there involved in it and given the background uh, i just think adds a whole level of of depth to that that you know, linchpin of what that whole event meant to everybody in the genre, and it really is kind of the centerpiece of what we're doing with with Straight Cranking. Mm-hmm. All right, we got about a minute and a half left. Uh, the premiere is Monday night. It would have been cool if y'all had gave some tickets away to somebody, man. It really <laughs> would have been. It's a free event. If it's, it's, it's a free, free event. Guess up. what? Well, you can still give away a free ticket. <laughs> People will still register for a free ticket. <laughs> so if you do want to go check out 202creates.com, you can right. check out our, our website, entertainment.dc.gov, and uh, there's more information there. You can RSVP. This is Monday night at the historic Lincoln Theater, 6 o'clock to 10 p.m. One more time. 
This is at the historic Lincoln Theater, Straight Cranking, a go-go documentary. 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Go check out 202creates.com or entertainment.dc.gov for more information for that. Man, I am proud of you guys for actually making this happen. You know, you were given an assignment. Do you have some people you want to thank about this? Because there was a note, so y'all got some thanks y'all need to do. <laughs> well, you know, as we, as we were mentioning before, you know, really Mayor Mariel Bowser and our director, here, uh, Director Angie Gates, um, for sanctioning this this project, really, again, recognizing and understanding that there is that connection with people in the District of Columbia and go-go music, and, uh, and, and making sure that that was something that we were focusing on. And uh, I, I, I got to thank these guys with me here today because uh, we've, we've spent a long time every day working on this, pushing it a little bit forward, developing it into what it is. And, uh, you know, it's, it's again, it's been, a, it's been a huge honor to be a part of it because I hope it really means something to, to the people who were involved with us. Yeah, All right. Yeah. We want to thank the cameramen. We want to thank the yeah. studio yeah. directors yeah. and lighting and, you know. There's a lot a, of people a, that helped out along the way. It was a way. huge undertaking and it was a lot of people that, you know, Helped out, and Eugene, no thanks for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I want to thank you guys for coming in. Oh yes. yeah, yes, thank yes, you for sure. I just want to thank all the bands. Everybody who right. ever played mm-hmm. in a go-go band, thank you. All right, uh, that is straight cranking. Matt Granado, Eugene Thorpe, Troy Pinkney. Thank you guys for coming in. Uh, We'll see you guys this Monday night. No doubt. See you there. All right. We're going to take a break right now. We're going to come back on the other side, and it's time to talk film festivals. You guys keep it where you got it. You're listening to The Big Show, keeping it real with Film Gordon. We'll be right back. Hi, this is John David Washington, and you're listening to The Big Show. Keep it real with Film Gordon on Film Gordon Radio. Yes, and of course, it is a special go-go edition of the big show today. Uh, welcome back to Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. Uh, so, yeah, thanks to all of those producers in our last segment, man. That was a lot of fun. Remember, Straight Cranking premieres this Monday night. Uh, you can register for tickets. They gave you all the information in the previous segment. All right, now, the second half of the film festival season is underway as several high-profile events are shaping this year's Oscar race. Now, the Toronto International Film Fest, or TIFF, as I like to call it, gets underway this weekend, and both the Venice and Telluride festivals are either underway or have recently been completed. Now, we're going to take a look at the films that you'll be hearing much more about leading up to this award season, and I welcome Charles Kirkland back in, if he can stop yawning. Uh, Charles, welcome back, brother. <laughs> Thank you for putting me out there. Um, hey, man, I do what I do, you, you man. Get that mellow voice. Oh, uh, thanks, bro. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, so let's talk a little bit about the Venice Film Festival, Charles. Um, and again, you remember we're only talking about major titles that may shape the race somewhere down the line. Uh, the Venice Film Fest took place, and that one is completed. Um, trying to think of some of the big titles that came out of there, and I'm looking through right now. There's a film. Uh, with with the Black Swan herself, Natalie Portman, which got a lot of buzz out of um, 
out of uh, Venice called Box Lux. Right. Um, and, you know, have you heard anything about this film or, or read anything about this film? Not much at all. Uh, I know that, you know, it's going to, it's supposed to be Oscar bait for her as well. So, I mean, I. I believe it's going to be interesting. Everything that's come out of the studio has been pushing it right. in that direction. So hopefully, hopefully it'll. We'll see. Right now, another film or documentary <laughs> that premiered uh, at at Venice that is has proven to be really controversial, and and it happened that they're showing it at the New York Film Fest as well. Uh, is a documentary called American Dharma, which is a documentary about Steve Bannon, you know, the the, the, the hate monger who right. was part of the the Trump administration. And and in New York, when several high profile comedians, Judd Apatow, James, I mean Jim Carrey, among others, heard that he was gonna be invited uh, to support this film, they all basically pulled out, but it played at Venice. Uh, it's going to be a movie that may, depending on your politics, if it'll get in the race or not, it's going to be fascinating because we all know that the film industry, for the most part, is hev- heavily liberal. And to have a film about <laughs> a guy that is very conservative, very right, part yeah. of the race, is going to be interesting. Have you heard anything about American Dharma? I, I heard that it's a darling at, at Venice, and um, which is surprising, like you said, because you think that it would be that they, there's a lot of anti-Trump feeling sentiments throughout right. the movie industry. But um, it may be. It's going to be interesting to see what the the spin, what their spin is going to be on on Donald Trump and how we can receive it. Uh, Errol Morris is as the director of the film, and I think that uh, he tries to be even handed, but I, I'm I can't see how that's possible. All right. Well, let's get to what I call the murderous row of really big films, man. That uh, not only played at Venice, and I mean, I tell you, at Venice. Also, some of them play the Telluride, and some of them will premiere at uh, in Toronto as well. So we're going to start off with uh, A Star is Born. Mm. Um, a Star is Born is a movie. Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga, Dave Chappelle has a small role in it as well. It is the fourth retelling of this famous story that has been told, I don't know, since the 1930s they've been making A Star is Born. I know the most recent one was 1976. Barbara Streisand. Yeah. and Chris Christopherson. Mm-hmm. Um, it is getting majorly rave reviews right now. I just saw a trailer for that on television the other day with my my and I always bring it back to the family. My daughter saw it and she's like, "I didn't know Lady Gaga could act," and I said, "She's supposed to be outstanding in this film, not just singing I mean, but acting." That's so what we're hearing, man, and Bradley Cooper's getting a lot of kudos as well. So we've already talked a little bit about that. Uh, Damien Chazelle's follow up to um, to uh, La, La, Land. La La Land is uh, First Man. Uh, which, of course, reteams him with Ryan Gosling to tell us the, a biopic about. And, and, and let me just say one thing, because Jessica is over there listening as well. One of my pet peeves as a film critic is when I listen to shows and people say biopic. It's not a biopic. biopic. It's a biopic. biopic. <laughs> a biographical picture. They don't call it a, 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 a bio. A bio <laughs> never mind. <laughs> but anyway, this is the biopic of Neil Armstrong. 
And of course, another film that's been getting really strong reviews, and I'm sure you can say or echo that as well. Well, and First Man opened Venice, so it, it, right. they they put it up front as the as the movie of the of the festival. And like I said, um, Damon, Damon Chazelle has done great work, and with him and Ryan Gosling, the one thing that got me about the trailer for it was that he's singing through to his daughter, the lullaby. And mm-hmm. I and I kind of joked last time we talked about this: Is he going to be singing on the moon, dancing on the moon like he did in La La Land? Uh, you never know. You never know. You, you never, never know. know. You never know. Now, the one movie that I've really gotten excited about, uh, Charles, is a black and white movie. Uh, that features no major stars, but is getting killer buzz. And this is the follow-up for Alfonso Cuaron's Gravity, and it's a film called Roma that people are already saying, man, this movie is going to be one of the movies. They, they're saying it, if, if it's submitted in the foreign language category that it's probably going to win, which is a strong statement. <laughs> but they're also saying that it's strong enough to to actually get one of the nine best picture slots. What have you heard about Roma? I've heard that Roma is... Uh, I remember the last movie that was even consi- close to you know winning an Oscar as a foreign language film was probably uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon way right. back. And this one is uh, considered a strong contender to be even in that category and, and have an opportunity to win. Uh, anytime you shoot a movie in black and white, you're saying you're making a statement. And right. I think when he did this movie in black and white, he's saying this is a piece of art and we go from there. Well, the other movie, man, that's getting a lot of play, man. We're only naming a uh, you know a small cross section of films. Is uh, Dan Fog- Dan- yeah Dan Fogelman who does uh, this, this is, is us, us has a film his <laughs> fi- his feature film debut Life Itself which uh, premiered at Venice. Not really hearing a lot about that, but I want to see it because I like Fogelman's writing and, and the direction that he's taking on This Is Us. Are you a fan of that show? Absolutely, okay. absolutely. Yes. So, so this I, is something... I really like the work that he did prior to This Is Us because he did that the other show much much the same, but it, it was. I can't even think of the name of it now, but uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Fogelman, and I'm just—I don't know about the movie though. I'm not feeling the movie. Well, you know, I don't know, man. I mean, they haven't given you anything yet. I think this is going to be—we did the the fall movie preview last week, last week on the show here, and I think that might be a film that happens in the November December slot. I don't I don't remember that as being a film that was earlier in the, right. in the fall. So we will look out for life itself and check that out. Now also the the last film I want to talk about coming out of Venice is Beautiful Boy uh from Felix von Groening Groengen. <laughs> Sorry Felix if I butchered your last name. And you did. Uh, <laughs> but man, hey man, this is another film man that that is getting some traction that has been mentioned as a film to look out for and then there are a lot of other films uh, including a documentary on believe it or not on Robert Mitchum called Nice Girls Don't Stay for Breakfast uh, I, can't, <laughs> I love the title man I, I definitely want to check that out man so now that we've covered a little bit what came out of Venice let's look at the Telluride Film Festival that uh, is also complete right now and Telluride has some major players in it, man. I mean, you know, you're looking at Roma again, uh, which was a film they loved. 
the the magnus opus for orson wells man the other side of the wind mm, mm. his decades delayed film they finally put it together and it rolled out and tell you right and it really impressed a lot of people man and, and they're saying that orson wells could win an oscar for this and posthumously i mean i don't i think this is a record for the length between your work right and, and then that he's dead been for so long so uh, this is going to be pretty interesting to see to see how they can put this together after so many years and what took them so long to do it in the past well man i mean for people who who don't know me um you know people usually ask me about my favorite films and of course citizen kane comes mm, up come on now now the reason why citizen kane comes up is that you got to remember that when orson welles made citizen kane he was 22 i think and he literally, uh, three years earlier, had gotten his deal because he did War to Worlds, which was this radio broadcast mm-hmm. that was so well produced that people thought it was actually real, like it was really <laughs> happening, that there was an, a space invasion happening here in the country. So he does, he, he gets this kind of unprecedented studio deal where they give him carte blanche, final cut. He turns in this movie, this epic Citizen Kane, which in 1941 kind of changed the game because not just the storytelling that Wells used, but the devices that he used right, in right. order to, to create this story, that the, the cinematography, the different angles. Um, and he also used a crew of actors who were his New York working radio actors <laughs> that he brought to the big screen. His follow-up film for this was The Magnificent Ambersons, which had the same hmm. detail as Citizen Kane, but he was so arrogant and had pissed off some studio <laughs> bosses that he went on vacation. They recut the film behind his back and then burned the negative so that Wells so could never put it back it, together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I say all of that when we talk about this film, The Other Side of the Wind, that Wells was an ultra-talented filmmaker and, I, and I'm glad to see that somebody has taken the work that he created and put it together. And I am anxious to see what it is. And I think there are a lot of people who feel like me about Wells that he could possibly be a guy that, that you know, years later, I don't know what the span of time would be. But it, it's a very interesting tale that like a Hollywood legendary Hollywood titan. Uh, still has more work out there that uh, people have never seen. And uh, this is amazing, though, because you hear about it in the music world where musicians make songs and they get shelved or canned right. or whatever. But you've never heard of a of a whole movie that's been right. sitting to the side, just n- not having air or life or whatever, and then all of a sudden it comes to life. So this is groundbreaking precedent here. Well, I got a, I got another one, man, that uh, people are familiar with. Uh, Aretha Franklin passed about a week and a half or two, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, she did a concert documentary in 1972 called Amazing Grace that, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. never saw the light of day. Uh, directed by, of all people, um, what is his name? Oh, my God. I'm looking at the guy's face. Um, uh, it's directed by Sidney Pollack. Really? Uh, Sidney Pollack did the did huh. the documentary for Amazing Grace, and I saw a trailer of it, and it is it looks fantastic. And for whatever reason, Aretha Franklin never signed off, and they tried to cut deals. It may see the light of day now, but that was forty six years ago. 
Wow. 46 years ago. So there are a precedent of their movies okay. that are out there. Right. Now, while we're talking about the Telluride Film Festival, the other big news coming out of Telluride was that Roma, the film that I told you about, Alfonso Corian's film, is going to be on Netflix. And Netflix, oh. for the first time, well, let me finish. Netflix, <laughs> for the first time, is thinking seriously about trying to to come up with some some <laughs> I'm laughing because Charles is giving me this look. <laughs> Netflix finally I think is getting the message that they want to they want their films to be uh credible. Yeah. They want them to be credible and a film like Roma believe it or not I think gets a much broader audience on Netflix than if you put it in a tour and if you put it into an art house theater, there are more people who have an opportunity to see Roma on Netflix and you know they were saying that Ted Sardos who's kind of the head of of Netflix is everywhere pumping this thing up and they are trying at least he says that they have a they finally are interested in winning an Oscar (laughs) (laughs) we're laughing because Netflix man has been kind of the bane of existence for a lot of filmmakers who films just go to Netflix and then they just disappear because it's just way too much content. They don't promote anything. Right. And, you know, I tell the story all the time that I was at Sundance earlier this year and uh, I was sitting next to this filmmaker and he was like, yeah, man, I had a film here last year. I was like, word. He said, yeah, the Poker Kings. And I said, oh, yeah, I remember that movie. I said, whatever happened to it? He said, it's been on Netflix. <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said, exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it had Jack Black. I mean, it was, a, it was a pretty decent film, but Netflix, you know, literally has what, maybe a couple thousand movies on there. Right. And if you don't, if you don't go through and look, and, and, the, question, and the thing is, how do you choose? How do you find the movies that are really worth seeing versus the ones that are just garbage? Well, I think I think part of what my issue, honestly, is with Netflix. Like when I go home, I live in a house with people, and they're like several different people who are watching Netflix, and like nobody is watching the same stuff because it goes by the pattern of what you watch, what they recommend to you. Right. So, like, let's say for instance, I get. I don't know, art house films and a lot of new films, but there's tons of stuff I walk by and go, oh, that's on Netflix? I did not know that. <laughs> so you just, so I think that's part of the strategy. I mean, I understand what Netflix is now, and I always tell the story that I remember 10 years ago, Netflix was this cool service. You wanted to, to check out a movie, they send you a DVD in the mail, you'd watch it, you'd send it back, and they send you another one. And then somewhere around 2012, 2013, they made the decision that we will become, we Mm -hmm. will stream and become like a content giant. So I think that part is cool. But the problem is, is that I think Netflix still hasn't wrapped their arms around what's a strategy on like, we're going to have a certain amount of movies, but then we need to promote these movies. And then, so I don't know. I think, I think it's a gift and a curse in a way. Netflix is great. And on one hand, because there's so much content that's out there. Secondly, I think they, to me they do a bad job because there's so much content that after you've watched it, like man, you need to get this stuff off and get like new stuff on. So it's not as confusing. It's like it's yeah. like being a traffic jam on your television when you're trying. To watch well, I mean, they should have a, a category when you open up Netflix, new to Netflix or something well, like no, that. Well, no, they do so have that, a category. I mean, new good movies. To, well, I don't know how they how <laughs> yeah, they can yeah. do it, but somehow to promote the, these movies because. Even today, I'm I'm wondering how many people who've actually seen Mudbound. 
Oh, that's true. And, and, that's true. And I know uh, oh. Mary J. was nominated, but I mean, it it, it just kind of like disappeared. It kind of right. disappeared. All right, we got about three minutes to go, man. Let's jump right into uh, the Toronto International Film Fest. And, uh, you know, a lot of these films are making a circuit right now. So the must-see films at Toronto, of course, we've talked earlier, are going to be movies like Star is Born, Roma is a movie that's really hot, The First Man. Uh, you know, uh, Michael Moore uh, has, a, has another uh, documentary, from what I understand, on Donald Trump. Uh, called Fahrenheit eleven <laughs> nine that's gonna jump that's gonna drop at Netflix. I mean at Netflix and uh, Toronto. Um, there are a lot of movies, man, and these guys are releasing over two hundred movies. I'm sorry, over three hundred movies, three hundred and forty two right. to be exact, in Toronto over the course of ten days. Um, can you, you know, imagine? Can you imagine trying to get three hundred and forty-two movies? Well, here's the deal. I mean, I know that um, Sundance does probably like two fifty, two seventy, and it's funny because one of the films that I saw at Sundance is going to uh, play again at Toronto, and of course, there's Monsters and Men, uh, John David Washington from Black Klansman. Uh, so people are having an opportunity to see that. Emilio Estevez has The Public with Alec Baldwin, Jeffrey Wright, and Jenna Malone. Uh, that's going to be playing there. Roma looks amazing. I'm looking again at the trailer here. <laughs> uh, you know, it's beautiful. It's a story that, that uh, semi-autobiographical story chronicling a year in the life of a middle-class family in 1970s Mexico City. Doesn't have any recognizable stars. Is in black and white. Mm-hmm. Man, Roma. That's the Roma. one. To, that's the one to look for. Also at TIFF will be Beautiful Boy again. Mm-hmm. But uh, Widows is going to be premiering. Steve McQueen's new film yep. with Viola Davis and company. I'm, I'm I'm excited for that movie. There's a lot of things. The to- Hate You Give is uh, premiering up there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you said Widows at Beale Street could talk premieres at oh, TIFF. Man. <laughs> um, where Hands Touch, that's a, a film that a lot of people aren't talking about. And then I told you uh, The Weeknd, directed by Stella Meg, Meggie, 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 I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Hey, hey, y'all, y'all listen to me for knowledge, man. You do not listen to me for name pronunciation. <laughs> Jessica's over there raising her hands like, oh, my God. Hey, man, you know, I will get a name right. You think this is funny. When we do the Black Real Awards and they give me all these names, I'd be like, uh, well, uh what happened was. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to sound like a, a bad high school graduation. Yeah. Email. So, hey, man, public Green Book. Uh, Green Book, of course, is directed by, of all people, um, what's the character's name from, uh, from the prison show? Uh, not The Wire, but the one that was on HBO that was really popular. Um... He played Adebisi. Nobody, nobody remembers Adebisi. No. You know, you know, I didn't have HBO for a long time, so there's a lot of stuff I didn't believe you. Watch. I can't, I can't remember well, the I, name of this of this kind of prison show that was an HBO show. But the guy who plays Adebisi, I know what you're talking about. There's a guy, the one with the guy in the wheelchair. The guy, no, the guy that would have the hat on his head and yeah. be half cocked. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, man. Uh, so there are a lot of movies that are coming down the pike. We're running out of time with our film festival review, but you will hear us talk about these films early and often over the course of the next three months here on this show. Uh, But we're going to take a break right now. We're going to come back on the other side, and it is going to be time to talk about 
peppermint. You guys keep it where you got it. <laughs> you are listening to the big show, keeping it real with film. Gordon here at 96.3 HD4 and that's dcradio.gov. We'll be right back. Welcome back to our final segment. And as usual, this week's reviews are brought to you by thefilmgordon.com. Experience film through the eyes of a true film addict, me. Check out all of our film content at thefilmgordon.com. And this week in theaters, it's the first week of fall and the calm before the storm. But before we begin, let's cue the music. Now, this week in theaters, they say revenge is a dish served cold. And Jennifer Gardner is serving from the freezer in Peppermint. Peppermint tells the story of a woman whose uh, husband and daughter are killed by a drive-by shooting on the day of her daughter's birthday by members of a cartel. Riley North, played by Gardner, decides to extract vengeance on everyone involved. Directed by Pierre Morel, the film stars jennifer garner now in this clip from the film riley gets justice against one of the men who wronged her watching someone take everything from you all you have all you're ever gonna have just gone hurts doesn't it knowing that it's all over and there is nothing you can do about it. You didn't serve justice, Your Honor. I will. Now they say hell has no fury like a woman scorned and Riley North is the embodiment of that phrase. Living an idyllic life with her husband and daughter, she gets both ripped away on her daughter's birthday. Now, after the criminal justice system lets her down to protect the drug, crank, drug kingpin, Riley drops off the grid and over the course of several years develops a set of particular skills to get back at the ones who took her family from her. Now, hiding in plain sight, Riley becomes a champion for the underdogs on Skid Row while plotting her move to avenge her loss. This death wish meets John Wick finds the physical gardener and familiar territory, giving her a chance to show off her formidable fighting skills, which were on display in the ABC series Alias and in films such as Daredevil and Electra, and which is the perfect backdrop for her pairing with acclaimed French director Morel. Now, known for creating intense action sequences in films such as District 13, Taken from Paris with Love and The Gunman, 
Morrell gives the action genre a much-needed shot of estrogen that is as plausible with Garner in the lead as any of her male action counterparts. Now, the screenplay by Chad St. John breaks no new ground and is a standard one badass who's skilled enough to take down everyone, injuries and all. Now, it's no different from watching Jason Bourne, Ethan Hunt, or any other action hero. The film, you know, features dirty cops, cartel drug kingspin, and an avenging savior. Yep, standard movie screenplay 101. Now, Garner makes an appealing action star, and Morrell left the door open for future installments of Peppermint. But despite just a vague line to explain to the audience why the film is even called Peppermint, I mean, we didn't even get a lot of that. I mean, just a throwaway line to give us there. But all I can say in closing is if, if Liam Neeson's Taken got three films, Peppermint will be back. Um, again, Peppermint, another major. I mean, you know, it was entertaining for watching it, you know. Gave the movie a C. Um, I swear in four weeks, man, you'll forget Peppermint even came out. You just would. Uh, so that is it for us this week. Uh, and on behalf of our show correspondent, Charles Kirkland, and super producer, the effervescent, the excellent, the, 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 the shining and beaming, just the sturgeons. As we say in closing, please see something like the movies this week. Good luck on uh, Have a wonderful weekend, and we'll see you guys on the other side. We're out. And we open all your expectations. I don't even want your congratulations. I recognize your false confidence and calculated promises. All in your conversation. I hate people that feel entitled. Look at me crazy because I ain't invite you. Oh, you are important. You the moral to the story. You endorsing what the.